born-again believers. And we gather together to share that hope with each other and thank God for it. I also want to thank everyone who gave to, who shared in the pastor appreciation gift. We really enjoy our church family and then we're very thankful for that and for just being with you, being a part of this church family. So thank you again for that gift last week. And then, you know, we talk about Jesus Christ who uh, went to battle for us, but at the end of this week is going to be Veterans Day, so I would like to acknowledge any veterans that we have in our congregation to please stand if you're able to stand. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your bravery. Thank you for risking your lives as you did. Now, this is the International Day of Prayer, the Sunday that is chosen to uh, be the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. And that's kind of similar to, you know, honoring our veterans. We're honoring those who have died for the cause of Christ and those who are in the midst of being persecuted for the cause of Christ. And that's the way I think of it as, you know, we are the church worldwide, but there's only so many that are suffering persecution. I mean, it's all over the world, but there's a lot of people like us who aren't suffering persecution like others are. And so to me, those are our frontline uh, military people that are serving the Lord in dangerous circumstances and paying quite a price. Now, let me go here. The International Day for Persecution Christians, it says, today more than 360 million Christians experience extreme persecution for following Jesus. That's one in seven believers worldwide. In many places, Christians face violence, imprisonment, even death, sometimes even from their own families. But throughout history, persecution has never stopped the church. It makes it stronger. And those are brave people that have given their lives and are suffering at this time even and and go to jail and miss their families, and sometimes their families are against them. I want to read just a short little story here. It's about this couple that Laura and I were in Bible college at the same time. We were friends with them. And they went to the Philippines to, uh, you know, be missionaries there. And Martin, the husband, he flew a plane and he delivered supplies. And they were just really, you know, dedicated people. But here's the story. If I have to go, I want to go out strong for the Lord. Those were some of 42-year-old Martin Burnham's last words before he was killed. It was supposed to be a relaxing and romantic time celebrating their 18th wedding anniversary, 
at a beach resort in western Philippines, but it soon turned into a nightmare. Abu Sayyaf, a Muslim extremist group, ransacked and the resort and kidnapped the guests, including new tribe missionaries Martin and Gracia Burnham. The hostages were threatened and forced to march with their captors through the steaming jungles, trying to avoid the Philippine army that was tracking them. Burnham was forced to carry bags of rice through the rain. The months of being in captivity and trudging through the jungles had worn down his boots, and he slipped often. Burnham never complained. He picked himself up and kept walking, even offering to help others along the way. There was a big group that was, that was taken into captivity. He and Gracia refused to give in to despair. They spent their time in prayer, thanking the Lord for this opportunity to minister to the other hostages and to suffer for his sake. They led the group in singing inspirational songs, and Burnham even tried to share the gospel with the guerrillas. Burnham risked his life for Christ and his mission to help others. After hearing of the capture, the Philippine army increased its search for the guerrillas. As they got closer, Abu Sabaya, the leader of Abu Sayyaf, ordered his subordinates, if the Philippine soldiers come any closer, I want you to kill the American missionaries. Bullets flew through the air between the guerrillas and the soldiers. When the smoke cleared, Burnham and a Filipino nurse, Edabora Yap, were dead. Gracia had a bullet in her thigh. Burnham wasn't afraid to die. During his time in captivity, he encouraged and strengthened the hostages. He was thankful in all circumstances. While all the hostages prayed to be released, Burnham was also sending up prayers of thanksgiving. Both he and Gracia were steadfast in their faith. Despite all the tremendous difficulties, they kept their faith in Christ. Just days before his death, Burnham felt the need to write a letter to his three children, Jeffrey, 15 at the time, Melinda, 12, and Zachary, 11. He wanted to tell them how much he loved them, how proud he was of them, and how he desired for them to keep their faith no matter what happened. He gave the letter to Gracia. It was lost in the firefight, but was eventually recovered by troops who went back to look for it. Martin Burnham was an example of generosity, love, and faith. He generously lived his life to share the gospel at all costs. As the news of his death and the story of his life were shared around the world, Burnham's strong faith inspired Christians everywhere to share the ultimate gift of Christ's salvation. Gracia carried on that ministry, writing books and speaking to thousands. She and her family committed to pray for members of Abu Sayyaf to come to know Christ personally. They saw it as their own little holy war. She encourages Christians around the world to go to war on their knees for the souls of Muslims, to carry on the work that her husband lived and died for. <clears throat> you know, as today has been designated a day of prayer for the persecuted church, all across the globe, believers in Christ are suffering all kinds of mistreatment and hatred and death for holding on to their faith in Christ. Many times they could get out of jail, they could quit the beatings if they just walked away from Christ and, and denied him. 
But like I said, I think they are the heroes serving on the front lines in the army of Christ. But <clears throat> unlike their persecutors, their weapons are weapons of faithfulness, love, hope, perseverance, and endurance. While we, who are in a much more safe place to worship the Lord, we are told to pray for them. Now, why is it that Christians are so mistreated, even killed, in many parts of the world? I mean, it's all over the globe. You know, it's not like Christians go in and destroy societies or they go in and cause so much trouble wherever they go. Why is it that they turn against Christians like people turn against Christians? Well, we're going to look at a short passage this morning. And Jesus tells his disciples why people will hate them. And at the time he's telling them this, you know, of course, Jesus is still alive. He hasn't been killed yet. And they haven't started their ministry without him. They, you know, he's given them tastes of ministry, but they haven't started into their main ministries that are coming later. But he's telling them at this time, people are going to hate you. So you wonder, why is that? Well, he tells them in John chapter 15. Oh, thank you for turning that. John chapter 15, and starting with verses 18 and 19, it says, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. And here's the reason. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. <clears throat> okay, the major point here is the world loves its own. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And it comes down to really, when we don't embrace everything the world is holding on to, or that the world is depending upon, or deems as important, or that the world wants us to join in with them on, then the world is not going to be comfortable with us. That's the general principle. The world loves its own. The world loves those who applaud them, who affirm them, who join in with them, who share their values. And they don't love people who aren't one of them. And anyone who questions or disagrees with them can become an enemy. Even though what sometimes what we're doing, what Christians are doing, are just, is just obviously right. And what the world is doing is obviously wrong. Yet, they don't like it when we don't join in with them. Now, Jesus says, <clears throat> told the disciples, keep in mind that the world hated me first. So that the world's hatred for the disciples is rooted in their hatred for him. But then again, why did they hate Jesus? I mean, Jesus came from God. He was God in the flesh. 
How could you not like God? He lived a sinless life. He didn't do anyone any harm or wrong. He actually taught them the deep truths about God that only he knew. He taught them how to get right with God. So what's the problem? The problem is, you know, there was a ruling class where he went in Jerusalem, in the land of Israel, and Jesus did not join in with that ruling class. Jesus did not praise that ruling class. In fact, he came in and he was just going around teaching, offering people hope, telling them about God, and it was, it was upsetting their program. It was kind of hurting their, the system that they had uh, worked so hard to set up. It hurt their control over the people. They felt threatened by his truth by his kindness, by his love. He wasn't falling in line with the structure that they had worked hard to establish. The structure that put the Pharisees and the religious leaders way up at the top and had people looking up to them. And they could tell people who was holy and who wasn't. So Jesus is telling his disciples that if the world hates them, it's because he has chosen them out of the world and now they follow a different set of values and priorities and who they honor and who they don't. And you know, that still continues today, doesn't it? You have power-hungry dictators across the world, political leaders who want to have control and rule and no opposition. And so, in so many places, they hate Christians. And it's not even that these Christians are opposing the government. It's just that they, may, they won't worship. In some places, they won't worship the governor or the government or the king. Other places, they won't join in. And then people of certain other faiths, they work very hard to get rid of Christians. They rid their communities of Christians in some places. They attack Christians. They bomb churches. They, <clears throat> they tear down their house. They go in and they kidnap people. They chase them down and kill them at times. They put people in jail. And some who turn to Christ will be beaten by husbands or parents or other family members, kicked out of their homes because they love their own. And they reject those who aren't their own. And then now in verse 20 and 21, Jesus tells them, Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. <clears throat> So the disciples of Jesus had the greatest privilege of basically anyone of any time period because they were privileged to see, to get to know, and become close friends with the eternal Son of God who came down and became man, who came to set mankind free. But that amazing privilege that the disciples had came with a big price, didn't it? 
Jesus tells them that if they carry his name and they become his close followers, well, at one, on one side, they can look forward to that eternal, glorious kingdom, but they will be treated the same way as he will be treated because of their connection to him, because of his name. <clears throat> and he says, it is because his enemies do not know the one who sent him. The reason they're doing this is because they don't know the one who sent me. And that's quite a statement when you think about it. He's basically saying they don't know God. And the religious leaders, they touted themselves as those who knew God. And they considered themselves at the top of the ladder of the experts who knew God the most knowledgeable experts on the face of the earth concerning God, the God of the Bible. But in truth, they really had no idea who God was. I mean, devoting their whole lives thinking that they were teaching people about God, yet not really knowing who he was. How could they not have known the true God? I mean, they had the scriptures. They were the Jews. They had the scriptures that were passed down for thousands of years. They had people teaching them the scriptures. They should have known about God. They had the scriptures, but they didn't. <clears throat> and the reason is because when they read the scriptures, they read them with ulterior motives. They read the scriptures through warped lenses. They used the scriptures to condemn others while, while exalting themselves. They used the scriptures to gain power and make themselves rich, to boost themselves up above everybody else, to become the elite. They were so far removed from the true meaning of the scriptures that think of this, they saw themselves as righteous and saw the Son of God as having a demon. I mean, how far off could you be? How more far off could you be? <clears throat> they were power-hungry, self-righteous, and had no concept of the true God. So the attitude that we come into the Scriptures with is so important, isn't it? I mean, if we come in, and that's what's happening today, too, you have people coming into the, to the Bible with the totally wrong attitude. <clears throat> and if there's something they can't understand in the Bible, they just say, it's nothing. It's not used looking at. I don't believe it. But that's the wrong attitude. But isn't there a way we can cut them just a little bit of slack? <clears throat> I mean, it's not every day that the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, Son of God, walks up to you, right? Can there be ever some excuse for their error? Well, look at verses 22 and 24, through 24. Here's what Jesus says. If I had not come and spoken to them, you know, in person they would not be guilty of sin. 
but now they have no excuse for their sin. And what he's saying is, not that they would be sinless, but that <clears throat> they wouldn't be so guilty of rejecting him if, if he had not come and spoken to them. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. What he's saying is, had he not come to them in person, you know, like almost nobody else could, could, did have that advantage, if he had not come to them in the very person of Jesus Christ, they could have had some kind of excuse, maybe. Not like they'd be totally free of sin. And he says, and if they had not been eyewitnesses to his miracles, one after another after another, well, then maybe their guilt wouldn't be piled up so high or such a load of guilt against them. But these people... They were privileged beyond any other generation. Any other generation of Jews. They saw the Messiah. They saw the Son of God in the flesh. They heard his wisdom. They learned his te- or they, they heard his teachings about God. They saw his miracles. They saw people walking that were lame. Yet, he said, they have hated both him and his father. So you see the attitude that doesn't allow, excuse me, you see the attitude that doesn't allow you to really see Christ for who he is. And that's where persecution comes from. They persecuted Christ, and people today persecute Christians. It comes from warped thinking. It comes from a complete misunderstanding of who God really is. It often comes from a rejection of God in order to exalt self. And as Jesus said to them, the world loves its own. At this time, could we have that video, Daniel? Dear Father, I thank you so much for the time I'm here with Pastor Adolf. And I pray also for the church in Indonesia, the church in the United States, dear God, that we would pray for one another continually, that we would stand together as one church and one family for the glory of Jesus and your kingdom. And it's all this we pray, Jesus. Amen. My name is Brian, and I've traveled all over the world to meet with persecuted believers living in some of the most dangerous countries on earth. Through my times, I've shared meals with believers. We've laughed, we've had coffee, tea. We've also cried together, worshiped together, and most importantly, we've prayed for one another. Give him joy and and make him a witness to God for your your gospel and for the light as well. Give him favor and blessing, keep him strong. And as he prayed too, dear God, I pray you would allow him to be a completely devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, no matter what challenges he faces. When I speak with these believers, they're not asking for persecution to end, but they ask for things like endurance, 
for courage, for faith and hope. And more than anything, they want to know that they're not alone and that the worldwide body of Christ is standing with them through prayer. And Father, I pray that you would continue to bless their ministry, bless the, the community here, dear God, that to see more and more people come to know you and become deeper followers, dear God, and have intimate relationship with you, Jesus. God, thank you so much for Marga, and thank you for this, this is powerful faith to endure persecution, to be faithful to you, to continue to share the gospel, even with great opposition. Guide us, dear God, is one church and one family to follow you with, with boldness through your spirit. In Jesus' name. It's humbling to stand with these suffering believers and to know that they have risked so much for the faith, and there's so much we can learn from them. I want to encourage you to step into the stories of your persecuted family. And the first step you can take is to download the Open Doors prayer app. The app is updated every day with urgent requests from believers around the world. You might not be able to visit your persecuted family, but through your prayers, you can let them know they're never alone. We've asked uh, five different people to pray for five different uh, situations or people that are being persecuted. So I'm gonna ask Robert to, to lead off.
Amen.
and there's information about the prayer app from Open Doors. 